Take your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I was uh, in the kitchen. Jenny was making dinner. And uh, while she was making dinner, she made a comment. Uh, you got to be careful with the comments that you make about me because I, I, I like projects. I like fixing things. I like improving things. It's in my nature to do that. If anybody knows me, that's just, just who I am. Uh, I, I like home projects. And uh, so Jenny says, I wish I had a little more light right here that I could see while I'm working. And I jumped up and walked over there. I'm like, well, we could put some lighting in over here. We could do this. And she's like, no, 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 not, not, not that kind of big project or mess or whatever. I'm just making a comment right now. And I said, there's got to be a way. I said, doesn't the microwave have a light that you could just click on that and turn that on? And she goes, yeah, but it's this old yellow bulb and it's just not very bright. It's like, I'm thinking, well, I could throw an LED bulb in that. So I take it off and I look and it was the old incandescent bulb on this side. But then there's a socket on the other side that you could add another bulb and it didn't have any of it. I'm thinking, I could upgrade this sucker right here, right now. I'm going to make this better. You know, I'm like, and Jenny was like, no, it's fine. I promise this. Nope, I'm in, I'm in the zone right now. I grew up with Tim the Toolman Taylor, okay? I, I, I think like that. It's bigger, better. So I remember I, I, I walked away. I, I sat down. I started ordering all the pieces and the parts, and I got the LED bulbs. I ordered two. I got the socket. I came in there. Jenny was getting ready for dinner, and I said, babe, let me do this first. She says, no, no, no. I, I, let me just get this done. I said, it's going to take like two minutes, and I'll knock this out. So I went over to the microwave, I took the whole panel down, there's all these wires, and I'm like, well, that's a lot more wires than I thought, but not a big deal. Uh, so I took these little climp things that you could slide on one wire and improves, and then I stretched the wire over, and I put it on the other side, and then, then the bulb didn't work. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense, I have everything done right, and I did it. And th- then I messed with it more, and then the more I messed with it, the original bulb stopped working too. And I'm like, well, that, that stinks. So then I'm thinking, well, I'm going to have to reach more into these wires because maybe I got something that came loose in the back of it. And whatever, so I'm just moving things around and stuff like that. And then, then I did something and it sparked and the whole microwave turned off. And I'm like, okay, that's definitely not the way it's supposed to go. So I, I flipped the breaker thing that it had in there and I did that. And then, then, then bigger sparks came when I tried to reattach the wire and then the whole thing and the, nothing would turn it back on. So I had to take the microwave off. So now you got to understand, Jenny just walked out of the room. She comes back in, and there's a hole where the microwave goes. So this is the, actually, this is me working on it. And she walks in, and she goes, where's my microwave? And I'm like, don't worry about it, babe. And she turns over, and the microwave is sitting in the living room. So I'm tearing this thing apart. I, I pull all the things out. I get inside to realize that I blew the main breaker that is built inside the microwave. I, 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 then now nothing's working. The microwaves. So now I'm thinking I went from replacing a light bulb, a light bulb, to now I, I need like a $250 new microwave. Okay, I went from bad to worse. And have you ever? How many of you guys are fixers? Raise your hand. You say I am a fixer. Okay, I am a fixer, and I am determined. If I can't get it to work, I'm going to keep working on it till I get it to work because that's what I do. And there is no challenge that's going to get me down except this microwave, okay? <laughs> Here I am. I told Jenny, I said, I've tried everything. At this point, I didn't even know that there was another fuse built inside. I had to take this panel off, and they were like, these things in there. I had to special order the, 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 the fuses to get it working and everything like that. And I am feeling so defeated that, like, I told Jenny, I said, this is impossible. I can't make this stupid thing work. And she said, all I wanted was a light. <laughs> you didn't have to do all that. But anyways, I learned the hard way. 
And I realized that there's a lot of times in life that there's something that we have. I was like, I got that, or I could fix that, or I can make that better. And then you work at it, you work at it, where you work. Then you get frustrated. And then you get to this stage where you walk away and then you go back to it. And then eventually you're just like, you know, I'm sick in this. It's impossible. It's never going to happen. I can't make it work. I'm just tired. Now I know I'm talking about a microwave. But in real life, there are a lot of things that are a lot bigger and more important than a microwave that are things that you try to fix that you cannot fix. Amen. I'm, I'm, if, there's a marriage that you say, I, I have a loveless marriage, or I have no passion in my marriage. There's no, no connectivity in my marriage, and I've tried, and I've read books, and I've talked to people, and, or whatever, and it just, it just doesn't work. Sometimes that's connectivity with your kids, and you're like, man, all I'm trying to do is get them closer to God, and I'm trying to speak into them. And the more I talk to them, the more they don't want me around, or the more they think that I'm butting into their business. It, it goes that way with even people that have lost people. And it's like, man, I'm just, I'm to the point where it's like, everybody says you'll get used to it and you'll be okay being alone. And I'm not okay being alone. I I, I don't want to live like this and I can't get over my past. I can't get over that addiction. I can't get through this. And we have things in our life that just simply think that I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and that just seems impossible. That's true in all of us. Things that you have labeled as hopeless. I can't fix this. This is real life filled with circumstances. And sometimes churches, you know, it's easier to sit there and say, God overcomes and God is great. I want to take you to a story in the Bible in John chapter 11 that it, did. it wasn't great. John chapter 11, it wasn't great. In reality, I want to, I want to point out some things because the, we, we will get to the point where we almost begin to doubt God. Because you've asked, you've trusted, you've had all this thing and it just doesn't work. I want you guys to get this because I have to, we're, we're talking about encountering Jesus and I want to go back to what we talked about last week because that's an important one. Jesus said, and the word was made flesh and it dwelt among us. It was literally meaning that Jesus became, he, he dwelt among us. He came into our lives. And then in Nicodemus, he said that you must be born again. That whole illustration of being born again is family. Sometimes we don't relate to that. We don't fully get that. The, the fact that it's not just his heavenly father. You know, I pray to Abba Father. I mean, that is true and everything. But think about the reality that our illustration of the connection that we have here on earth is something that God illustrates to us saying, you know how much you love to be around your kids? Jordan and Logan have been out of town for a, a number of days and they came back and, and I, it was so good. Last night we had a family night. We were all together and it, just, it, was one of, it was so joyful. It's so exciting. It's so good to be with family. I like to have them at dinner. I like to have fun with them. I like conversations that we have. And you think about that with God. It's the same thing. God said that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He's our heavenly father. You have to be born again. He wants you part of the family, to have connectivity, to be involved in what he's doing, and for, him to, for you to involve him in what you're doing in this life. So I want to study, last week it was Nicodemus and that encounter that we had of relationship of Jesus Christ of coming into our life to save us, but this is another encounter with Jesus. So let's begin at the beginning of the story in John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick. Name was Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and his sister Martha. It was that Mary that anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, him whom thou lovest is sick. 
Now, I, I hate when people do this in movies, but I'm just going to do this. Spoiler alert. This is what happens. Lazarus dies, okay? And I'm like, man, he spoiled the story. But that, that's what actually happens. Lazarus dies in this story, okay? He, he, he just, he, he dies. There's, it happens in there. Lazarus dies before Jesus gets to him. Mary and Martha are broken. You talk about hopeless. When, when you have a hopeless situation, you take Lazarus being dead four days is what happens in the story. You're just like, okay, I've given up. That, that there's no chance. Back even in the Bible days, there was kind of like this uh, ideology that if the Spirit of God would hang around somebody even after they died, or the Spirit of that person for like three days. So the idea is up to three days of hope that they had, but the fourth day that Jesus intentionally came back on the fourth day was like, it was beyond what they felt like even in their thinking would even be uh, impossible. So Jesus shows up in verse 21, and we're going to skip around a little bit and then we'll go back. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. They, they are broken, they're distraught, they're hopeless, they're hurting. And the Bible says in verse 33 that they're weeping. Now, some words in the Bible, we have like love, and then the Bible defines them as well, different levels of love. This weeping in the Bible is not just weeping, it's wailing. Anybody that's ever lost someone that they're close to, and I've done a lot of funerals and things, and when they're there and they're wailing, it's literally like, like everything in them is just broken, and they're just like beyond being able to control their emotions. It's like, I, I, I don't even know how to express my feelings in this situation, I want you to learn some things about Jesus in this. Number one, in your hopeless situation, God desires for us to know his love. And I, you, you, it almost sounds like that's just a, a, a nice way to start this message because you're a pastor and you need to talk about the love of God before you start talking about really bad, tragic stuff. But it's more than that. You, you realize that God knows how we think. He knows the emotions. He knows when you're dealing with the situation how your mind begins to question. Even really good Christians that go to church and love God. Yeah, even you guys. When, when God doesn't do what you think he's going to do. So let's, let's play out the story a little bit. Because sometimes we get so caught up in just the verses that we forget these are real people that had a real situation. Here's Lazarus. Not really, but imagination. Here's Lazarus. Lazarus is really sick. Mary and Martha are having these conversations and they're just like, you know, I'm not too worried. Why aren't you worried? Do you not know who we're friends with? It's Jesus. I know Jesus. Jesus goes out and he does miracles all the time and he does all these amazing things. Why would we have to worry when I know Jesus? Mary and Martha were known for a spot where he would go eat, and he would go hang out, and he would stop by, and he was friends with Lazarus. That's why he says, you know Lazarus that you love? So this was like a relationship that he had with them. You guys are catching on. that It was a relationship that he had with them, part of their life. You can imagine the doctor saying, hey, Mary and Martha, come in here. I, I hate to tell you this, but he's getting really close to dying. No problem. Hey, servant, come over here. I need you to do me a favor. Will you go find Jesus and tell him that the one Lazarus that he loves so much is dead? It's going to be fine. Jesus is going to come. Don't worry about it. Uh, Jesus even has this thing where he can speak when he's away and even raise people from the dead. It's going to be okay. Then Lazarus dies. Something's in Mary and Martha going, okay. When the servant came back, Jesus didn't come back. Have you ever thought how we work with circumstances in our lives, we write out what God should do. 
You, you know what I'm talking about? Like we sit there and begin to say, uh, God, I, I'm losing this job, but there's this new job opening. And God, if I got that job, I'd get more benefits. It would be better with my schedule and it'd be more money. So God, I know I, you begin to brag to your friends. I know what God's doing. I found a better job. And as soon as I get that, I can brag about how great Jesus is. You didn't get the job. And then we begin to think, wait a minute, that was perfect, God. Didn't I explain to you how perfect that plan was? Now, we don't admit that, but that's what we think. I know how to fix this. Mary and Martha was like, I know how to fix this. Jesus is going to come in. But you know what? We know the other stories in the Bible. Jesus has raised the dead before. You know, one day, two days, different things that have happened. So no Jesus, day one. No Jesus, day two, three, four. No Jesus. And then Jesus shows up at that end of day four. He's been dead now four days. You talk about dealing with the stress but I need to interject a verse in here before you start drawing conclusions. Look at verse 5. You say, how does this pertain to the story? Well, it does, because you have to understand this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. First of all, Jesus knew everything that was going to go on and everything, and he had to interject from the very beginning, I love the people that you're about to tell the story. I love them very much. Before you draw conclusions, before you write me off, you need to know I love them. Look at verse 1 again. Read it with the description of what's being said. There's a certain man. He was sick. His name is Lazarus. He's of Bethany. I know where he lives. The town of Mary and Martha's sister. Now, before you go, let me explain this Mary. She's the one that anointed my feet with, she's the one that took down her hair and did all that. It says in verse 2, whose brother was Lazarus. When his sister sent him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. See what Jesus was doing? He was, he was explaining your problems are personal with God. Your problems are personal with God. The reason why I'm saying that right now is because sometimes we think God is so disconnected from that. He was literally saying, I know Lazarus. I know where he's at. I know he's sick. I know he's from Bethany. Put it like this. God knows your problems. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows who you are. He knows your hurts. He knows everything about you. It's personal with God. I, I love this story. I, I told this a couple years ago. I was doing different things about the names of God. It was in the Old Testament. Abraham... And Sarah was promised a child. They didn't have a child. As you know, later they had Isaac, but they, it was, they were waiting for this promised child. So they had this handmaiden named Hagar. And Abraham says to Sarah, says, hey, we're not going to have this baby. And Sarah says, we can have a baby if you'll go in and have it with Hagar instead. So that happens. Sarah gets very jealous because it wasn't God's way of what God promised to do. And now Sarah is extremely mean to Hagar and like literally almost abusive to her. Hagar rises up and she's so distraught. She runs out, goes in the middle of nowhere. She's like, I have nowhere to go, nobody to talk to. Nobody understands me. She's in the middle of this place at this well. And all of a sudden God shows up right there in the middle of that spot. Begins to say, I know where you came from. I know where you're going and I know what you're going through. And the name of God is introduced in that. It's called El Roy. That name means the God who sees. It's the name of God that we can hold on to. And the whole illustration of this is the fact that God was saying, I know you're in a desperate situation that nobody knows what's going on in your heart and mind. But God was saying, I 
see you. I see you. There's things that are going on in your mind, in your life right now, and you're thinking nobody sees it. And by the way, even if they did, they would not get it. And if they did get it, they couldn't fix it. Nobody's attached to this. Nobody's understanding. Nobody gets me. Nobody understands the inner struggle that I have. Nobody understands these problems. Everything that God's illustrating in this is he's the God who sees. He's the one that knows. Put it like this. God sees you when you cry yourself to sleep. God sees you in your car as you're driving to work and you've got that anxiety because you're about to walk into a mess. God sees you as you sit down with the bills and you're thinking that I don't know what to do. I'm working every hour that I can. The money's not coming in like it should and things are just getting worse. God sees that teenager that has that identity thinking that I'm not pretty or I'm not good enough or I don't have friends or I'm not liked. God sees that college person that's sitting there saying I'm stressed out and I can't quit but I have the pressure of these bills piling up on me and I've got to do both. God sees that. But here's the, the beauty about it is it's, it's, it's a matter of God seeing the inner man. You remember last week when we were talking about it? You guys can go back and watch it. But God created man with an inner man and an outer man. He created you with a soul. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. You know what's cool about when God sees you? He sees the part of you that nobody else can see you. And I'm saying even your best friend, your BFF can't see the inner man. Your mom and dad, your, your friends, all those people around you, they can't. But God can see the inner man of the things that you're going with. But jump forward. Notice what happens. And when, verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the, the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in his spirit. He was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved them. See, it's not just a matter that God is personal with your problems or your problems are personal with God, but your problems matter to God. They matter to God. Could Jesus have just showed up at the very beginning? Now, you know how sometimes Jesus does this? It's a setup, okay? From the very beginning, this was a setup. Jesus, when he found out that Lazarus was sick, could have just walked in and said, Lazarus, you are no longer sick. No, no more chicken noodle soup, no more cough drops. You don't need any of that anymore. Man, it's over. He gets up. He's all better. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus literally was doing a setup in this situation to prove something. You know why? Because this is important. Stuff happens in real life, okay? You guys hear me? Real life has real problems. Because sometimes in life, we, we want Jesus to show up and get us out of the problems before we ever have to experience the problems. But Jesus doesn't work that way all the time because that's not real life. Christians, believers, and people that go to church are going to deal with tragedy. Christians and believers are going to go through hardship with their children. Christians and believers are going to go through difficulties of financial d- distress. Christians and believers don't have perfect lives. He's pointing the picture saying, hey, I need, that, I, I need that to get bad, okay? I, I, I need it to get to a point because I need to teach them something that this is real life. And sometimes imagine Jesus like this saying, I'm going to do something and they're not going to get it, but I have to do the setup first. I, I, I have to illustrate the power of what he's doing. And it said in verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came to her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. 
weeping, wailing, broken. This is the hurts. And I love how it is that Jesus steps right in to show that I care. Jesus was weeping, and I know there's a lot of theories why Jesus wept. But the Bible also says, did you notice in there? The Bible says that Jesus groaned within himself. It bothered him. It bothered Jesus knowing that that situation bothered them. That is why the Bible is so clear in Isaiah 53 verse 4 when the Bible says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He wanted that situation to be there because you're going to have situations like that. But Jesus steps in and says, I know your grief. I know what you're dealing with. I know why you're crying. I know why you can't get to sleep. I know why you're distressed. I know why you feel that way. He, your problems are personal with God and your problems matter to God. He loves you. But notice this next thing. He desired for you to know who he is. Now remember, I said this whole story was a setup. All right, here's the setup. Verse 6, then when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Now that's the part where we're scratching our heads going, why would he do that? Why would Jesus wait so long to not intervene? Because here's the thing, God doesn't work in your schedule. That is something that we struggle with all the time. It's like, I need, I need a miracle right now. You know, it's like, where's God? Well, God, did you not hear me? God, I need this problem to be fixed like right now. And God doesn't work like that. Sometimes when we pray, just being honest, we write a to-do list out to God and say, here to God, if you'll take care of that, I'd really appreciate it. (laughs) I'm serious. That's what we do. And God says, wait a minute. Who are you to tell me what to do? I've got a plan with this. We talk about how he is faithful, God is faithful. We sing the songs about that. Never once have he ever left me. You realize that that song is true because it's in the Bible, not just because we sing it on Sunday morning and it makes us feel good as we start church. It's real. Never once has he ever left you. And sometimes God puts us in tough situations to be able to prove who he is. Jesus said in verse 11, listen to this. These things saith he, after he had saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of his sleep. Now, I'm going to be truthful. I'm more like the disciples, okay? I, I, I'm not as smart as like some people might think I am. My kids already know this, but sometimes I have to read things two or three times before I understand it. So that Jesus is explaining to them that Lazarus is dead, but he's explaining in this, this illustration that he's sleeping. Then the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps... He shall do well. God, if he's just sleeping, he's going to be fine. God, we don't have to worry about it. And Jesus is saying, you're not understanding what I'm saying. How many Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he spoke of taking a rest in his sleep. Then say Jesus unto him plainly, Lazarus is dead. Okay. I don't know how else to put it. You guys are not getting the illustration here. Lazarus is dead. It, It is a bad situation. But Jesus said, I'm going to intercede in that bad situation. Everything that he said was in verse 4. He was talking about that he's going to do it, that the Son of God might be glorified. I'm going to do something in this bad situation to bring glory to God. When I was a teenager, uh, I had a youth pastor that we would go hang out and do stuff with him all the time. And he got this big foot type truck. It was awesome. He was bragging about it. It was like a SUV, but it had the giant tires on it and everything. And he was always bragging about how powerful it was. And when we were out, we were like, I bet you you'd get stuck if you went through there. No, I wouldn't. You bet you'd get stuck. He got so sick of hearing that 
one day we were out and there was this back road that went through these woods and it was like all muddy and deep uh, ditches and all this stuff going on. And he pulled in there and he stopped and he looked at us and he said, guys, I'm going to bring you to this point because I'm going to show you how powerful this is. And I remember him putting it in four-wheel drive and he was a little nervous, I could tell, because he didn't want to lose his truck in this pit. And I remember him gunning it and going through there and just proving. We blew through there and went through the other side. And he was all proud. And we were high-fiving and like, dude, that was awesome. You know, we did it. We proved it. The whole point of it is God sometimes brings you to a setup. He'll bring you to things on purpose so that he will prove to you that I'm not just God in the good times. And I'm not God when things are difficult. But we serve the God that does the impossible. When you're thinking there is no way, the reason that we sing songs that you make a way when there is no way, because that is who he is. He is the God that does miracles. He is the God that does the impossible. And sometimes we'll never know it until we come to it. And God said, this time I'm going to bring you to something so that Mary and Martha and me and you will find that out even in today's day and age. We will understand how great God is. In verse 17, it says, And when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Four days. I need to, I need to start bringing the application in because I don't want to get just caught, so caught up in the story. Lazarus is something we all have. Every one of you have a Lazarus. Okay? <clears throat> it is a situation in your life, a problem, a relationship, person, whatever it is, that you can't do anything else about. Do you get it? It is beyond your control. You've tried everything. You're the fixer. I've manipulated. I've talked. I've preached. I've done everything that I can. You've got to understand that Lazarus was the visual illustration in this. But Jesus is going to introduce himself to them about his situation because no, we know that Jesus is life. I am the, the, he said at the beginning of that, John chapter 1, he talked about in him was life and the life was the light of men. But Jesus walks up to him and says, in a sense, I need to introduce you to myself. Maybe today you're being introduced to this Jesus or you're going to encounter Jesus in this way. You didn't know he was this, but you need to know who he is. You need to know Jesus in this way. Jesus said unto her in verse 25, he introduces this name or this title. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though they were dead, yet shall he live. When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, I'm not only life, I'm the resurrection. Now listen to the definition of resurrection. Resurrection means to stand up again, to recover, to be raised to life again. This is what Jesus was saying about that situation of Lazarus. Jesus was saying, I make dead things live. You get that? You say, that's fallen, it's broken. My addiction, I cannot do anything with it. It just sucked the life out of me. And God says, you know what I do? I make dead things live. That is what God does. You have that marriage and you sit there and say, there is absolutely nothing that I can do to fix my marriage. And God says, you know what I am? I am the resurrection. I make dead things live. You can take it so far and say, yeah, God, if you only knew. It's been this way a long time. And I'll tell you, it's so bad that my relationship stinks. And God says, you know what? I even make dead things live that stink. 
When you say there is no way, there's absolutely, God, I've already shut the door on that. I've put it to rest. I've walked away. I've given up on that. I don't talk to my parents. I don't have relationships. I have all that. God says, don't rule me out. I'm the resurrection. I am the resurrection. And see, Mary and Martha, you would have never known that I am the resurrection and the life and not just the band-aid and not just the healer and not just the good guy and not just the provision because we love God and all those things. I'm talking about desperate situation in some of your lives where you've said there are some things that have gotten so stinking bad that I have totally given up. And God says, I am the God of those situations as well. That is who he is. All of these things he was illustrating because of the fact is he's the counter of what Satan does. John 10, 10, he says, the thief cometh not but the steal What is stealing? To take away, take away joy, take away peace, take away satisfaction. The devil comes in to kill. He'll take that joy out of your marriage and then he kills it. You're sitting there saying, it's dead. He takes it out of your your inner man. And I'm saying, we're getting real right now. I know people right now that in their life, they're saying, I feel nothing in my life. I'm empty. I'm void. Do you know why people cut themselves Do you know why people will contemplate suicide that that you think that they have everything figured out? I'm I'm just being real right now. We can come in here and act like, oh, this is church. We're not the talking. No, this is real life. Real life have good people that have good families and marriages that the husband and wife have contemplated divorce because they don't see another way out of that. In real life, there are teenagers that go to church every single week but still go home feeling this identity that they have no value and worth. That is the truth. There are ones that even contemplated suicide because of the fact is they don't feel like anybody accepts them or loves them for who they are. And I promise you when it comes to social media and all this other stuff and you're sitting there saying I'm not as pretty and I don't have likes and I'm not accepted and somebody dogged me on this and somebody cut me down on this and somebody ridiculed me about this. Let me tell you where that comes from. There is a thief and a liar and a robber that steps into your life and he tries to take from you everything that God has given to you. And alcohol and drugs and these things in this world and social media and pride and arrogance and relationships. It's not just drugs and alcohol, people. It is pride. Self-image. It's boys and young people breaking up. And God was just saying, the thief comes in to steal, to take, and destroy. But there's a second part to the verse that Jesus was saying, let me tell you what I do. I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. God says, I can bring back the joy. I can show you the beauty that you have, that no guy can compliment you enough to understand the beauty of who you are and what God has for you. God has so much more. That's why he's saying, I just won't give you what you had. I won't just revive you back. I'll give you life and life more abundantly. That is the God that we serve. That is what God does. God makes dead things live. He desires for us to know his love. He desires for us to know who he is. He desires for us to encounter his hope. It's not enough for you to know God. And and this is the thing that I promise you, I've asked God. I said, God, 
I never want to preach a passage like this that we're just like 2020, looking back 2,000 years ago. Wow, that was really cool. Jesus did a lot of great things, and sometimes we can be so disconnected from what Jesus did that we don't draw the conclusion of what Jesus wants to be in our life. The reason that I have the Word of God with me right now is because this is God telling you the story that you can have in your life right now. So I want you to get this as he's going through this. Jesus had all the power that we could have possibly imagined. There was different stories in the Bible that they came up to Jesus and said, Lord, my child is at home and he's sick, and they said that he's on the verge of death. Go home, he is healed. There's other ones that they said, go home and he is alive and he was dead. There was a lot of things that he did. That's not what Jesus did in this situation. You see, Jesus wanted to be brought into your problem. Jesus shows up to this situation. Okay, paint this picture in your mind. Jesus shows up, and he should have, they could have come, Lazarus is dead. He already knew that. He could have said, Lazarus, come forth. You are alive. That's not what he did. Understand the visual of what God's trying to give us through all of this. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus walks into them. He steps in their pain. They experience his, 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 his weeping and everything else that he had. All these things are going on. Jesus could have said, you know what? It's going to be okay. Go, go, go to the grave right now. You're going to find Lazarus. He's walking out. He's alive. But that's still not what Jesus did. Jesus did this. Jesus said, Mary and Martha, take me to your Lazarus. Take me to Lazarus. I want you to take me to that which is in your life that is dead and stinking that you've covered up and that is broken. God wants you to understand that God wants you to bring him into your problems. There are so many things that we go to everybody else, we go to people, we do all these different things trying to find, and God says, it will not work without me being in the middle of it. You've got to bring me to it. A lot of times we have invitations at the end of church and we're sitting there saying, I have this. God's saying, it's not going to work when you just hold on to yourself. It's a matter of saying, God, here it is. I've closed the door. I've done all these things, but God, I'm going to bring it to you. And God, I'll be honest, this stinks and I'm embarrassed. This is my past. This is my habits. This is my addictions. This is a broken relationship. This is something that nobody knows about. But God, I trust you to be the resurrection and the life. Bring Jesus to the problem. He's got to be brought into the problem. Something happened. It says in verse 43, when Jesus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth. See what he's saying in this is we have to trust in the power of his word. This is so cool. You sit there and say, I can't experience this in my own life. I don't understand this even in my own life. You understand that everything we're talking about is the power of God today. And let me say right now, this situation of raising the dead and sometimes in our life, we sit there and say, I wish God would bring healing To my loved one that is on their deathbed, sometimes the healing that God does and the miracle that he does is he brings us from this world to the next, and that is the miracle that he does. God is a miracle worker, and God said, I could bring you out of this despair and bring you into heaven, and God does that in this life, and sometimes we get mad at God saying, I wanted to keep them there, and God says, no, they finished their course, I brought them home. But in this situation right here, do you understand what happened in this? Jesus shows up. Get this picture. Jesus shows up. And he sits there and he says, move away the stone. Unveil the problem. Bring me to the problem. Mary, Martha, move the stone away. And God said these words. God said, Lazarus. Those were the spoken words of God. 
come forth. The power of God's words went in there. Now you gotta understand, we are body and soul. Body and soul. You are more than a body, you have a soul. The spirit of God has to do spiritual work in a way that you cannot do. They could not revive them because there was an issue that went beyond their control. It took a heavenly God to reach into a spiritual problem that was in their life. Do you understand that? And a lot of times we try to fix problems in our life with our own means. You cannot do it without God. The Spirit of God walks into that room and there is that grave and the Spirit of God revives and speaks into the inner man and says, Lazarus, you're no longer dead. The resurrection and the life has spoken in you and commanded for dead things to live. Only the power of God, only the word of God. And you say, man, I wish we had that today. I Stop. I have the words of God right here. These are the words of God. I have the words of God. And they are quick and they are powerful and they're, they're sharper than any physical thing that you have it is sharper than any two-edged sword and they pierce to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit it reaches into your heart it reaches into your mind it reaches to your kids it reaches into your marriage it does what you cannot do god's word penetrates our problems in a way that you cannot we had an overnighter we had a ton of teenagers on friday night Speaker got up, Kirk Kirkland got up to preach and he opened the word of God and he began to speak the living word of God and the spirit of God was going in there to a room full of teenagers, some of them that had doubts about God and some of them that had insecurities about themselves and some of them that were lost and needed Jesus. And let me tell you what happened on that day. Friday night, 2020, the spirit of God was moving in there and began to wake up eyes and, and, and stir up people's hearts and, 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 and reach into their minds and their bodies and be able to do what only God could do. And two people came to know Christ on Friday night. Do you know why? There is power in the word of God. That is why it is so important that we are in church. That is so important why you do your devotions. That's why it's so important that you lead this place and what we do and the word of God and being online and listening is more important than anything you're gonna find on Facebook. It is more important than the news. It's more important than who wins the election. This is the word of life. This is it. This is where life change comes from. This is where God does his works. God does, changes, raises, moves, stirs, unites in a way that only the word of God can. And you say, then why don't we see it more? God said it in his word. He just said, I'm going to tell you why. Because you're missing something. Verse 25, and Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. And the church goes crazy and everybody gets excited that he makes dead things live and he brings hope to hopeless situations and they were like where where is it i guess it's just something that he said in the bible it's not really true i think the problem is we don't read the whole verse he that believeth in me he that believeth in me though he were dead yet shall he live see it's it's got to be believing as well. 